how do you decide what you're going to wear to church on Sundays? Some people may plan the night before. They may look in the closet and say, I'm going to wear this tomorrow and maybe even get it set out. Some people may make a mad rush on Sunday mornings and fling the closet door open and look and say, well, I, I, I don't think I've worn this in a couple of weeks. Some people may look for the least dirty clothing item that they have and say, I think I can get by one more time wearing this one. But even after you choose what you're going to wear, when you put it on, you probably take a peek or two in the mirror. Ladies spend some time, uh, you know, putting on makeup and fixing their hair. Men spend some time at least running a brush or a comb through their hair. But what if you were to do this? What if you were to get dressed and then you were to look in the mirror and realize, oh, I've got a stain on this shirt. Or I didn't realize it, but I spilled something on this dress. Or what if you looked in the mirror and you saw that when you brushed your teeth earlier, that you didn't wipe your mouth very well and there, were, there was a white streak of toothpaste stain on your cheek. Maybe you said, you know what, I thought that I brushed my hair, but I did not. It's, it looks like Albert Einstein. <laughs> and after you looked in the mirror, you did nothing and just said, I'm going this way. When you arrived, people would be polite. We are polite when we see you that way. <laughs> they would be cordial, but maybe if someone really cares about you, they would say, did you comb your hair today? No, I didn't. Do you realize your zipper's open? They, if they saw something about your appearance, they would, they would say, hey, here's a correction that you can make. The book of James says that whenever we read, study, or hear God's word and do not take action on what we have read, read studied, or heard, it's just the same as looking in a mirror and realizing, oh, this is out of place. I need to fix that. But then deciding, you know what? I'm not going to. James said we need to be doers of the word and not simply people who hear the word. Well, way back on Labor Day Sunday, we began a series called Pressing On, Next Steps for Following Christ. And during this series, we've talked about various areas of our lives, and I've tried to do my best to challenge you to, to do some examination, to do some exploring, and saying, in this particular area, God, what is a next step for me? We've talked about our personal devotional lives. We've talked about expanding our friendships to the point where they have the freedom to confront us when we are on the wrong paths. We've talked about the importance of creating margins in our lives so that we're not constantly running and exhausted and there's no space for God to work. 
We've talked about the importance of each person contributing to our church fellowship. We've talked about the importance of, of looking outward and saying, God, God is reaching more people than just us, and we need to be involved in that. But if we have spent every Sunday since Labor Day talking about taking next steps, but people aren't taking next steps, then we've wasted our time. If people have not internalized and said, you know what, in that area, God, you show me some next steps. Show me, show me what the next mark on the pathway is for me, then we've wasted every single Sunday that we have been here. And so I want to close the sermon or the series today with a two and a half hour message on the importance of being obedient. And so would you open your Bibles, please, to Jeremiah chapter 35. We don't often look in Old Testament books, and so if you need to find Jeremiah in the table of contents to know where it is in the Bible, that's all right. If you happen to have the right one, it's on page 716. All right, in Jeremiah chapter 35, let me give you some biblical background to this passage. In the Old Testament, the nation of Israel is the main character. The people of Israel are the main characters, main human characters in the Old Testament. And in the year 722 B.C., the nation of Israel, which had divided into two kingdoms, the larger one was called Israel... And the smaller one was called Judah. Don't get confused by that. But the larger nation of Israel had been defeated by the Assyrians. And basically, they weren't in existence anymore. So there were only two tribes left, the tribe of Judah and the tribe of Benjamin. And they were in the smaller kingdom of Judah. And in the year 586 B.C., the Babylonians conquered them. And so they went into exile as well. Jeremiah was a prophet during the period just before it, Judah was captured by Babylon. And a great deal of his prophecy is about, hey, you better get ready. We have ignored what God said to us. We have, we have disregarded him. We've rebelled against him. And God has had enough. He's been very, very patient with us. But he's had enough. And so we're going into captivity in Babylon. And the people rebelled against that. They only wanted him to preach good sermons. They didn't want to hear the hard sermons. But Jeremiah said, I, I don't want to do it. It's why he was called the weeping prophet. But I have to deliver bad news just as much as I get to deliver good news. I, I preach whatever God's called me to do, Jeremiah said. And so with that in mind, God wanted to give Jeremiah an object lesson of how he wanted his people to obey him, not just to know what he wanted them to do, but to do it. And to give this object lesson, God sent Jeremiah to one specific family, the Rechabites. And he said, ask them this and see what they say. Let's read together. Jeremiah chapter 35, verse 1. This is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord in the days of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah. 
Go to the house of the Rechabites, speak to them, and bring them to one of the chambers of the temple of the Lord and to offer, and to offer them a drink of wine. In other words, get this family, bring them to this one room in the temple, and set wine before them. Verse 3. So I took Jazaniah, the son of Jeremiah, son of Habazaniah, incredible names, and his brothers and all his sons, the entire house of the Rechabites. And I brought them into the temple of the Lord to a chamber occupied by the sons of Hanan, the son, by the sons of Hanan, son of Igdalia, a man of God, who had a chamber near the official's chamber, which was above the chamber of Messiah, the son of Shalom, the doorkeeper. It's just, he's describing a specific room in the temple. So I set jars filled with wine and some cups before the sons of the house of the Rechabites and said to them, drink this wine. But they replied, we do not drink wine. For Jonadab, son of our ancestor Rechab, commanded, you and your descendants must never drink wine. You must not build a house or sow seed or plant a vineyard. Those things are not for you. Rather, you must live in tents your whole life so that you may live a long time on the soil where you stay as a resident alien. So he said, this is what, this is what our ancestor told us. Verse 8 says, and we have obeyed Jonadab, the son of our ancestor Rechab, in all that he commanded us. So we haven't drunk wine our whole life. We, our wives, our sons, and our daughters... We also have not built houses to live in and do not have a vineyard, field, or seed. But we have lived in tents and have obeyed and done everything our ancestor Jonadab commanded us. However, when King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon marched into the land, we said, Come, let's go into Jerusalem to get away from the Chaldean and Aramean armies. So we have been living in Jerusalem. Then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. This is what the Lord of armies, the God of Israel, says. Go and say to the men of Judah and the residents of Jerusalem, will you not accept discipline by listening to my words? This is the Lord's declaration. The words of Jonadab, the son of Rechab, have been carried out. He commanded his descendants not to drink wine, and they have not drunk to this day because they have obeyed their ancestors' command. But I have spoken to you time and time again, and you have not obeyed me. Time and time again, I have sent to you all my servants, the prophets, proclaiming, turn each one of you from his evil way and correct your actions. Stop following other gods to serve them. Live in the land that I gave you and your ancestors, but you did not pay attention or obey me. Yes, the sons of Jonadab, the son of Rechab, carried out their ancestors' command he gave them. But these people have not obeyed me. Therefore, this is what the Lord, the God of armies, the God of Israel says, I will certainly bring on Judah and on all the residents of Jerusalem all the disaster I have pronounced against them because I have spoken to them, but they have not obeyed and I have, not, and I have called to them, but they did not answer. But to the house of the Rechabites, Jeremiah said, this is what the Lord of armies, the God of Israel says, because you have obeyed the command of, of your ancestor Jonadab and have kept all his commands and done everything that he commanded you, this is what the Lord of armies, the God of Israel, says. Jonadab, the son of Rechab, will never fail to have a man to stand before me always. God said, Jeremiah, come here. I want to show you an example of what I really desire among my people. Put some wine in front of this family. Jeremiah did, and the people said, oh, we can't drink that. 
because our ancestor told us not to. In fact, he told us not to build houses, to, to plant vineyards or eat own fields, that we're just supposed to live in tents and, and not have a permanent place. And God said, Jeremiah, their ancestor, a human being, spoke to them one time, and they have obeyed everything. But I, the eternal creator of this universe, who rescued my people from Egypt and planted them in the promised land, have spoken to my people over and over and over, and they just won't obey me. I wish that my people obeyed me the way that Jonadab, the son of Rechab's descendants, have obeyed him. That's what I want. And so the application for us is whatever the next steps that God places on our hearts, knowing them isn't at all the issue. Doing them is the issue. So let me give you very quickly three ideas from this passage. First, there's the commandment. This passage isn't at all about alcohol. The passage is about obedience. The, the passage isn't about uh, planting vineyards or owning homes or having mortgages or anything like that. The passage is about the descendants of Jonadab, the son of Rechab, heard what their ancestor said and said, we're going to obey. And that's what God calls for us. He says, I just want you to obey me. I promise you, God says, every commandment, everything that I tell you to do always is for your best. Now, it may seem narrow-minded to you. It may seem, seem old-fashioned to you. But everything that God has told us to do always is for our best. And so we obey it. Last Sunday when I wasn't with you, I was speaking at a church out in Texas and on Sunday morning, I loaded up in the airplane in Houston and started flying back uh, here. Well, when the pilots are in the airplane, they get very specific instructions from the air traffic controllers. They tell them which runway that they are to land on. And if the pilots were to say, you know what, who is that guy to tell me where to land this plane? I'm the one flying this thing. That guy's awfully narrow-minded. And you know what? I get sick and tired of landing on runway 24. I'm landing on 19 today. Then we from the back would step to the cockpit and say, Sir, whatever that man said, that's where you're going to land. I don't think so. Yes. Now, it may seem like out of all of the possible runways, that's the only one that he can land on. If it's the right one, yes. I'm not in any way pretending that sometimes what God tells us to do may seem awfully narrow. But I trust him enough to know it's always best. And so he gives us the steps, the commandments that we're supposed to obey. The second thing that I want you to see from this passage is that we obey in the easy areas and in the hard ones. The Rechabites said, we've obeyed everything. Look, it's been really inconvenient packing up these tents and moving. There have been weddings, feasts where we wanted to join in the celebration. There were times when doing what Jonadab told us to do was not the easiest. It was inconvenient, but still we have done it. 
And when God works in our lives, he doesn't want us to obey simply in the areas that come most naturally to us. God will cause us, call us to take some very difficult steps. In fact, what I have discovered from reading this book is that the more faithful a person is to God, the harder the steps become. God doesn't want his people to say, well, I'll obey you in these because those really don't require much sacrifice. I can kind of live the way that I want to without much of a cost, but these things I'm going to ignore. These people said everything. We read it. I don't want to take the time to go back and highlight those verses again, but they said we've obeyed everything that he told us to do. I don't know if New Hope does this or not or Caledonia, but West Point High School, when I was in school, did a school play every single year. We did The Wizard of Oz one year. We did Bye Bye Birdie one year. This particular year, my junior year, we did a musical version of Tom Sawyer. Now, I really am not a, a theater. I don't have any talent in that area, but that's where a lot of girls were. And so I always tried out. How many of you have read the book, Tom Sawyer? Okay, we've got some literate people here. Good. Do you remember in Tom Sawyer, Cousin Sid is the hated punk. He's always tattletaling on Tom. He's always getting into trouble. He's, he's better than everybody else. And that was the part that they gave me. I said, how on earth am I going to pull this off? This is going to be the greatest acting job in the history of the world. How am I going to get people to despise me? They said, we think you can do it. We received our playbooks, and that afternoon when I went home from school, a friend of mine named Aaron Dean called, and he said, have you read the playbook? And I said, I haven't. I, I, you know, I've got it, but I haven't read it yet. He said, turn to page nine. And so I flipped over, and on page nine, one of the very early scenes Cousin Sid sat at the supper table and then told Aunt Polly that Tom had skipped school that day and had gone fishing. And if she would check the collar of his shirt, it would still be wet. And Aunt Polly got up, checked the collar, and it was wet. And then she told Sid to go to bed and she would deal with Tom. But before Cousin Sid exited the stage, he was to kiss Aunt Polly on the cheek and go. Susan Shirley played Aunt Polly. She was the best-looking woman that ever walked the halls of West Point High School. She was thrilled, of course. When I read that page night, I could not wait to get to practice. I messed up my line so many times that we had to do that scene over and over and over again. I loved that part of playing Cousin Sid. But the outfit that they had me wear, 
was a little pilgrim outfit. <laughs> I had these little black knicker pants with white stockings underneath, a little white ruffly shirt with a little black jacket and a little hat. And the moment I walked, we had, I don't know, five or six performances, New York, Broadway, we're all calling. <laughs> Every single time I made my first appearance on the stage, we did it at all the schools and at night, people laughed their heads off. I hated that part. But if I was going to play Cousin Sid, I had to do both. I couldn't pick which, which lines I wanted to read and which part I wanted to play. Same is true for every single one of us in this room. We cannot say, God, I will do this, but I won't do that. God, I will take this step, but I won't take that step. That's not the agreement. To be one of God's people, we take all the steps. Well, the last part of the message is that Jeremiah said there are consequences to our decisions. He said, here's what God's told us to do. We're to do everything, not just some of it. And when we make our choices about what we will do or what we won't do, consequences always come. Bible says in verse 17, therefore, this is what the Lord God, what the, the Lord, the God of armies, the God of Israel says, I will certainly bring on Judah and all the residents of Jerusalem all the disaster that I've pronounced against them because I have spoken to them, but they have not obeyed and I've called to them, but they did not answer. God said, I don't want to do this. What the scripture tells us is that God is ready to forgive. He is quick to show mercy. He is slow to anger. He is slow to show wrath. He prefers to show mercy and grace to us. In fact, Ezekiel chapter 18 verse 23 says, God is speaking. He says, do I prefer the death of the wicked? No, I would rather they turn and live. But when enough is enough then that's enough. And God said, I've spoken to you over and over and over and over. I've sent prophet after prophet, priest after priest, and you have ignored everything. And so your own actions are bringing these consequences upon you. So it will be for us. God will not allow us to continue to ignore what he wants us to do without reaping what we sow. But that verse isn't the end of the chapter. Verse 18 says, But to the house of the Rechabites, Jeremiah said, This is what the Lord of armies, the God of Israel, says, Because you have obeyed the command of your ancestor Jonadab and have kept all his commands and have done everything that he commanded you. This is what the Lord of armies, the God of Israel, says. Jonadab, the son of Rechab, will never fail to have a man to stand before me always. God said, you Rechabites will always be blessed. As long as this earth spins, my blessing, God said, will be on the Rechabites for your obedience. To my knowledge, I have never met a Rechabite. 
But they are out there. Because God specifically says their line will not ever end. He will never fail to have a man to stand before me always. Because of their obedience, the legacy down through the centuries remains. And the blessings that God provides to us when we gladly take the next steps he places before us always are rich and abundant blessings. And we want to experience them. Philip's going to come and he and Jackson are going to lead us in a closing song of commitment today. And perhaps there are people who say, Gary, I have not taken a single next step since we got together in January. We started this sermon series and I've heard every one of them. And I cannot think of even one small change that I've made. Would you pray with me that God will show me the changes that I need to make, the next steps that I need to take. And that I will have the courage to take them. I would love to do so. Maybe there are people with needs that are weighing on you and you would like someone to pray. Maybe there's someone here who would like to receive Jesus Christ as Savior. I'm going to be standing right here at the front for just a moment as we sing together. Philip, what are we going to sing? Softly and tenderly, Jesus is calling. Let's stand together and sing, I'll be here at the front.